Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Well, hello and a very warm welcome to episode 141 of the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm one of your hosts, and it's uh, always a great pleasure to be with you each and every week. Uh, of course, last week I wasn't, and for that I apologise, but a huge thank you to Chris for helping out and sailing solo, as it were, bringing you a dose of, or a mini dose of the, the usual podcast format. Rest assured, we're back to normal today. Chris will be with us in just a second to bring, of course, his latest maritime history. We've got a bit of fact or fiction, and of course, uh, a decent dose of cruise news as well. Now, also a quick thank you to those of you that continue to listen, like, and subscribe in your favourite podcast app or directory. Uh, if we could ask one little favour, if you know of somebody that you think would appreciate this podcast, send it on. Um, let them uh, know about it, and uh, hopefully they will enjoy it too. And for doing that, we'll be eternally grateful. But let's get Chris on the line. Let's get things started uh, with uh, all things cruise. Enjoy the show. And we're back to normal. It is a great privilege and welcome to welcome back to the show the uh, good friend and maritime historian Chris Frame. Well, first of all, thank you, Chris, for holding the fort last week. Oh, you're welcome. Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I caught a glimpse of the, uh, of the podcast once it had gone live and I realized after the fact, after I briefed it three times and after I think you said you listened to it as well, yeah, yeah. that um, I referred to maritime history as cruise news about three times <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the podcast. So I was, um, I was not, uh, not that comfortable flying, flying solo this week, uh, last week rather. <laughs> all all yeah. good, all good. But it is good to have you back and it's good for me to be back as well. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, and of course we caught up uh, earlier in the week in person, which has been pretty hard to do uh, of late. Yeah, of course, um, P and O are celebrating a major milestone this year, and those celebrations have continued mm. on board Pacific Explorer in Fremantle. And we got a chance to uh, be a part of those celebrations, which was uh, rather nice, rather fitting, it and was cool, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There was everybody from farmers and provi- provisioners and uh, yeah, the crew and p- people from the, the port that help out with. Uh, 
anything from piloting to tugboats and, of course, the wider tourism industry as well. So it was a, a really nice day, and it was beautiful weather, of course. Mm. And uh, we've bid farewell to Pacific Explorer because she has departed now to head uh, back across the top of Australia. She has, and, yes. Uh, heading to Cairns, where she'll uh, be based for a little while, I believe. Um, but there were some, uh, some obviously great entertainment and activities that were happening on board. They uh, took us back 90 years with the throwing of the streamers, which was uh, a rather mm, nice little did. touch, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. It was lovely. It's sort of like um, reminiscent of the, of, the old, uh, of the old liners. And, of course, the streamers were being thrown into the ship, so everything yeah, was yeah. cleaned up afterwards. There was no, um, no, nothing thrown overboard. But, you know, the... Um, the ship itself, uh, it, it's just the latest in a long line of ships that has uh, visited Fremantle. That's why P&O, I think, is doing a different um, a different event in each of the major uh, ports that, that they call home at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, to have to have the ship there to acknowledge that 90th anniversary in, in Fremantle. And then I think there's one coming up in Sydney and also in Melbourne as well during this um, celebration. So it's, it's pretty cool. But, Baz, we had a chance to listen to a... Um, an address by uh, President of uh, P&O Cruises and uh, Carnival Australia, Marguerite Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, of course, uh, I believe she's using some of your uh, facts and maritime history there, Chris. <laughs> well, we have uh, – Rochelle and I have been working with, um, with P&O. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to, to, to work with them on this particular um, event. But um, uh, we're not obviously sponsored as the podcast to cover the event, but Rochelle no. and I have been working with them um, on putting the, pulling the events together. And um, our role has really been in a history capacity and working with them to – to, to pull together some of the facts and figures and information and um, trawling historical documents to find these wonderful little nuggets of, of information about uh, about the the history there. And then on board the ships, there's been displays both on Pacific Explorer and also on Pacific Encounter, which happened in Brisbane a few weeks ago. Um, there's been wonderful visual displays that are mm. from the um, Henderson and Kramer collection, which is a, a fantastic and fascinating collection of um, probably the world's most extensive P and O collection that exists today. Um, perhaps, perhaps one of one of two. There's another one that's run by uh, owned by DP World, but this one um, that Rob Henderson's been curating for all these years, um, it's on display. Some of it's on display. A very small fraction of it yeah, <laughs> uh, on board the ships on easels, and it was just lovely to see all those um, historic photographs and uh, advertising posters on display to kind of give you an idea of how different things were back in those early days of cruising. Yeah, and in fact, I was talking to a couple of people in the terminal who had no idea why we were there, etc. Um, and they were talking about they were some of the original ten pound ponds that came out on P and O ships to Australia uh, mm. where they started their new life. So the, the, there's those kind of connections everywhere I go, I guess. Yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, because I think one of the things that makes P and O Cruises Australia stand out is that it has been here, like P and O has been a part of the Australian landscape for such a long time, and people don't really make the connection until they're reminded that these are the continuation of the ships that were doing those voyages to bring people here to start a new life in Australia. Uh, and when you do get talking to people, particularly when I was giving the lectures on board the ship uh, earlier this year on the P&O ships, and you have um, people going, oh, wow, that's right, the Fair Star. My gran or aunt or uncle or parent traveled on the Fair Star or came here on one of the Strath sisters or perhaps traveled on the Canberra or Oriana. And then they're like, wow, this means more to me now because this this cruise is sort of a, uh, yeah. with the same company that did that, that got our family to, to live in, in this country. So uh, it's nice that they're acknowledging it. It really is. 
It is, it is. Now, we're going to carry on with uh, P and O and a little bit of history around this first circumnavigation of Australia in just a second. But I wanted to share some facts that came out of mm. uh, Marguerite's presentation um, and part of the press release as well that followed around, I mean, Pacific Explorer is only in Fremantle for a two-month window. It's a relatively short season, mm-hmm. uh, but in that time, they have... Uh, purchased and uh, sourced an incredible array of produce from the WA uh, suppliers and providers and farmers, etc. Uh, we're starting off with 40,000 litres of fresh milk. That's amazing, isn't it? 30,000 kilograms of melons, of all things. Yes. Yeah, that was <laughs> mentioned during the speech, actually, all those melons. <laughs> 10,000 kilograms of tomatoes, 9,000 kgs of potatoes, 8,000 kilograms of lettuce, 6,000 kilograms of carrots, 4,000 of apples, and 3,000 of eggplant, to name just a few. Yeah, and I think this kind of um, highlights why the cruise industry has such an impact, uh, you know, on on Australia and also any port it visits from mm. a from a longer and, and, and deeper perspective than just what's happening at the pier, because all this produce, of course, is being sourced in. Um, in farms and 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 that in Australia, and uh, so that that benefit, that economic benefit, does trickle down. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, no, well done. And uh, once again, uh, congratulations to Piano Australia on your 90th celebrations. I'm sure we'll have a mention further down the track when we uh, repeat this in Sydney and uh, Melbourne as well. Uh, but for the minute, Chris, I'm going to hand over to you and talk all things uh, maritime history. What we're we talking? Well, you know, what was interesting is that this 90th celebration in Fremantle kind of got me thinking about um, about some of the, the the information that we'd found about Fremantle's connection to to P and O and also to cruising. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the things that was interesting is, of course, P and O was coming into Fremantle um, as a port, and also all of the uh, major Australian ports doing the line voyages well before uh, they were doing cruises. So P and O had been sort of contracted to do the mail service here back in the ni- late 19th century. Um, and uh, they had a, a very sort of strong presence. In fact, the first P&O ships that came here, the first P&O ship that ever came to Australia, the Chusan, um, it arrived before the port of Fremantle was even um, a properly developed port. And in fact, <laughs> the, the itinerary stops include, I think it's King George's Sound, which is for um, Albany, and um, the Swan River is how it's written <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> for, for, for Perth, you know. Um, so it was gone a little bit further up the river than what it can now, um, but there was no sort of big commercial port back in those days. Mm. But um, the, the first cruisers that were based out of the East Coast, what they did is they would run them out of Sydney, but the ships that were doing the line voyages to Australia would be then used to do those cruises. So mm-hmm. they, they figured out a way in which they could have a, a passenger who lives in Western Australia or South Australia or even Victoria could join the cruise without having to make their potentially make their own way there because they could sell the last section of the line voyage when it was going Fremantle, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could board the ship in, in one of those ports, then do the cruise and if the stars aligned, you could then cruise back to your home port before ah, the ship went okay. back over to Britain. Now, yep. there were a lot of cruises where the return journey didn't quite line up that well, so passengers were, were given assistance to get alternate ways home, which ultimately most of the time resulted in, in them traveling on another P&O ship. So you mm-hmm. basically got sort of two ships in your, in your holiday, <laughs> two ships of experience, yeah. But it was just um, – you know, there's there's so much focus, and, and particularly if you re- recall P and O in the 
um, 80s and 90s where there was so much focus on Sydney as the port for P&O. That's very different now, of course, but historically it's also very different and they did have a very strong presence in pretty much all of the Australian coastal cities um, and, and, and were even including that sort of connection into their cruise voyages in those early days. So I just thought that was an interesting little little tidbit to um, help uh, help contextualize how, how they were managing cruising in an era before it was easy to fly because you couldn't just jump on a jet and get across um, the country. You, you had to either take a very long train ride or, or uh, travel by ship. Mm. And of course, there are still buildings in Fremantle and other places around Australia that uh, uh, contain the name P&O, uh, mm. other shipping lines, yeah. of course. There's a P&O in, in Fremantle. I've I've seen that there's a P&O building. There's an Orient Line building, and in fact, there is even a White Star Line um, building because a long time ago, um, White Star Line used to operate services to Australia as well, and they had their um, their agent office here uh, mm. in, in Fremantle as well. So um, you have to look very very hard to to find it. But Sydney's even easier um, if you go to the the dockside areas there, and particularly around by what, what is now the area near where the new Crown um, complex is. Mm-hmm. There's, yep. there's a few markers there where you can find old, uh, old historic um, buildings and, and names of, of shipping lines. I think the only shipping line that maintains an active office in Fremantle is uh, MSC for their uh, oh, cargo operations. Yeah, they've still okay. got a corporate office down there. Yeah, yep. And, of course, um, P&O uh, Cruises Australia is the only um, – cruise line that has its main hub of operations uh, based in Australia. Mm, mm, Although lots of other ones do have offices here. I mean, not in, not in Fremantle, but over in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Great, uh, great bit of history there, Chris. Thank you very, very much. You know, I would, I would love to hear from anybody who travelled over here on one of those um, P&O ships or any of the uh, ocean liners that used to do the uh, immigration voyages here. It would be fascinating to... Um, to hear the the thoughts and perspectives of people who did that actual long duration voyage coming in in the era before cruising. Mm. In fact, I can think of somebody who would uh, probably like to share that experience. So I might uh, put a little call out and see what we can do. Yeah, maybe we can do like uh, retrospective historic cruise reviews. <laughs> if anyone was there. <laughs> awesome. Um, shall we do fact or fiction or jump straight into cruise news? Let's do fact or fiction. Fiction. Well, I have a, a fact or fiction that was actually sent in um, by via my website, which is quite quite oh, fun. These are even harder than yours. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I think this one might be. I'm not sure. It depends on how okay. well you know your Titanic history, Baz. Um, and whether or not, more than me, <laughs> whether or not I've already let this one slip in the past, I can't remember. But um, so the fact or fiction is from a listener called Mike. He's from Australia. It doesn't say where. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the fact or fiction is when they spotted the iceberg in Titanic's path, the order of hard to starboard was given, but in reality, the ship actually turned port. Fact or fiction. Are you trying to trick me with? Oh. Hey, this is don't, you can't blame me for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the order was, the ship did turn the opposite way. I don't know which way it was supposed to go and which way it did, but that is because of the way that the steering system operated on ships back in the day. So the hardest, hardest starboard turning port, are you going to say fact or fact? Yeah, let's go with that fact. Uh, well done. <laughs> he's been he's been studying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as you as you say, um, basically the British ships 
were in, in Titanic's time around 1912 still they were still um operated to using using the uh, c- uh steering logic of Attila and mm. that dates back to when ships were driven um by by hand by Attila and if you would turn the the, the tiller pole i suppose to the to the uh, port, the ship, the the movement of the rudder that's directly connected to the tiller would move the ship starboard, and if you turned yep. it um, starboard, it would move the ship port. And so, by by nineteen twelve, in British ships they were still they were still geared that way. The the way that the rudder mechanism was div- uh, was connected up to the steering wheel allowed that logic to still exist. And mm-hmm. so, all the British mariners would have known hard to starboard as the uh, order. To, to turn the ship to port and hard to port as the order turned the ship to starboard. Obviously, as time moved on, somebody had the genius idea that this makes no sense um, <laughs> in the modern world, and they, they have of course they have of course changed it. So now, if you wanted to turn the ship to port, you'd say hard to port, and the ship would turn to port because that yeah. obviously makes sense. But um, that was sort of like tradition, and people who had who had come up through you know in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, where some of those old style of ships were still in existence, and many mm-hmm. of them had done training on older sailing vessels where a lot of the steering was very different to modern passenger ships. Um, they had learnt it that way, so it was kind of like a continuation of that of that tradition. And so mm. they knew when they called hard to starboard that they wanted Titanic to turn port. They were trying to port yep. around the iceberg, and it's for for a different episode. But the tragic thing about it is they were so close; like the ship, the ship barely touched the iceberg when it came to mm. it was it was a long long amount of. Um, a long part of the ship that was exposed to the berg, but it was so close that it only had those little gashes in the side along a, along a very unfortunately long period of um, of the ship's uh, hull. But it wasn't one gigantic gash. It wasn't a massive hole that was ripped into the side of the ship. It was um, it was so close to missing that berg. So it could it could have all mm. been so different. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mike, for that little challenge. Um, not sure on the technicalities. You're always good at those things, but I think I knew I think what I was that. trying to you get at. That That's another one in your in your corner. Okay. Awesome, okay. So awesome. we need we need to we need to up our game. <laughs> so if you don't want me to see the fact or fiction, you do need to send it to Chris via his channels, which of course is his website. Um, otherwise, if you send it to the podcast, then of course I will see it. Yes. <laughs> Chris, let's uh, just take a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, talk all things cruise news. Sounds good. Be sure to share the podcast on your favourite social media channels. So, Chris, first up this week, uh, Oceania Cruises have officially named and christened Oceania Vista. They have, yes. So this is their 67,000-tonne ship, the new one that's entered uh, service. And uh, it's been christened um, with a celebrity chef who's the godmother, Baz. Yeah, it is. It's a... Giara di Laurentis, or L- Laurentis, yes, that's right. Who's, of course, the, the godmother for the first of the Allura class for, for uh, Oceania. And interestingly, it also marks uh, the 20 year anniversary since Oceania cruises. And probably mm-hmm. from those that are in the industry, it's uh, also so important to note that uh, founder Frank Del Rio, who was also uh, a part of uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines Holdings, Mm-hmm. Um, this was actually one of his last gigs um, in his uh, former role as he's actually stepping down and, and handing the, the reins over, of course. Yeah. Mm. Big, big change of the guard. Yeah. So there's a great video uh, that you can watch the whole official uh, ceremony. It is quite long, but I have put the link in there if anybody is interested. Uh, just jump into the show notes of this particular episode. 
Sounds good. Now, Carnival Chris have been helping out, as do many, many cruise lines when there are incidents at sea. But this time, we're talking Carnival Dream helping to rescue people in the Belize Channel. Yeah, so 17 people were stranded in the channel after a, a boat they were uncapsized. Carnival Dream herself was heading towards um, Mexico, Cozumel Island, mm-hmm. um, and they, they spotted the capsized boat, the officers on the bridge. So they, they realized that the people were in distress and they, they rendered aid, uh, quite a heroic act. Yeah, all 17 guests, uh, 17 uh, sailors were, were rescued and uh, given assistance and then transferred over to the Belize Coast Guard, who uh, then took good care of them. And of course, Carnival Dream then continued on her sailing to Cozumel. Um, the ship then uh, continued for a six-day sailing and returned back to Cozumel just uh, today, as we're recording this, actually, uh, mm. 20th of May. It's always remarkable when um, when you, you see the... Uh the traditions and laws of international maritime, uh, you know, conventions coming into into action like that, because of course mm. uh, it is, uh, you know, incumbent on on sailors to offer assistance and, and render aid, but uh, uh, to have the the ship there, a giant ship like that, uh, coming in to rescue uh, people, it's quite a dramatic sight and uh, uh, quite. Uh, you know, it's a big impact on the crew to do something like that as well. So even though yeah. it is a, a convention and it is a it is a norm for those sorts of uh, things to happen, you do need to sort of pay your respects to the people who who actually went ahead and and, and executed a um, a flawless rescue by the sounds of things. Yeah, absolutely, totally right. Um, next, we're talking Explorer Journeys, and they've announced the uh, or have given details of the owner residence on board Explorer One. Now, of course, Explorer One is the first of the new luxury brand for Explorer Journeys, which is part of the uh, MSC group. And I have to say, some of the images I sent through were pretty mm. impressive, Chris. Yeah, you put them in the show notes. Uh, they're, they're looking looking pretty good. But, uh, you know, just to describe it, there's um, a living space that spans over 280 square meters. That's, uh, that's over 3,000 square feet for people who are still using the older uh, measurements. Um, and there's a, a massive suite. It's 155 square meters. The suites are 1,600 square feet. Um, and uh, there's even an outdoor terrace baths. Mm. With as well as an infinity and a dining whirlpool. Table for yeah. a Sorry, yeah. I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it does look good. Um, now, this particular suite has capacity for th- up to three adults or two adults and one child under the age of 18. And Explorer Journey will be uh, taking her first voyage from Civitavecchia, of course, the port for Rome on the 8th of July, which is, of course, just around the corner, um, with her maiden journey then taking place on 17 July from Southampton. Mm. So good luck to all at Explorer Journeys. Sounds great. Now, quite often we talk about the environmental credentials of many, many different cruise lines. This time we're talking Swan Hellenic, and they've partnered with a couple of EU organizations to uh, basically try and improve or restore the seas. Yeah, so in 2021, the EU Parliament, and there was also a Council of the European Union, they came together to mandate um, the creation of a commission which is entrusted to accelerate uh, and speed up the ocean and water health uh, conservation and restoration mission, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is something that cruise lines and all shipping companies, in fact, uh, commercial ships should, should be taking a, a very keen interest in. So it's great to see uh, Swan Hellenic uh, um, you know, leading the way in terms of, uh, in terms of participating in that. Yeah, so they've partnered with Philippe Costeau Foundation, 
and SDG for Med, um, which uh, basically allows scientists and uh, experts in their field to use the Swan and Hellenic vessels for for research and scientific development to mm. to try and uh, reach a few strategic goals before 2030, which is uh, really uh, quite incredible. And uh, they want to reduce, but in particular, the marine-grade microplastics in mm. the EU area in general by a massive 30%, which is a good work, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's also very needed. So yeah, yeah. And uh, staying with the environmental credentials, this time we're talking Costa, and they're uh, how partnering with uh, land-based suppliers to uh, use bio LNG powered trucks to deliver all of the produce to Costa Fidenza. Yes, it was a collaboration between two Italian companies that uh, officially kicked off um, on the nineteenth of May. So just uh, just, just yesterday, uh, yeah. Yesterday, yeah, and uh, it all took place uh, the first time, at least, uh, in the port of Kiel in Germany when uh, when the ship called in there. Yeah, of course, uh, Firenze will be uh, departing Kiel weekly for seven day cruises up into the Norwegian uh, fjords, which, of course, is another sensitive area. So great mm. to see that these bio LNG trucks will be used to uh, to transport all produce to the ship, and uh, the way that they acquire this bio LNG is liquefied biomethane, which is obtained from the livestock industry. Interesting. They say it, um, well, it's going to cut CO2 emissions by um, almost 90%, which, you know, when, if that is, uh, is something that can be replicated across, um, across all ports, that would be a massive, massive change. Absolutely. So, uh, so well done for Costa and their partners to trying to do the right things. And I'm sure if this works out well, it'll be rolled out further across the, the the Carnival Corporation fleet where possible as well. Now we're actually staying with Carnival Corp this time, Chris, because Holland America has just completed its first Grand World Voyage since 2020. They've been cruising for 128 days, visited 57 different ports, and travelled 34,651 nautical miles. Yeah, so it took place on Zurindam, uh, which is, uh, of course, uh, uh, just proving the, the, the kind of capability of a ship like that to do these global, global voyages. And, and Holland America has been one that's had long-duration cruises for a long time. So to see them sort of complete the first one since that, uh, that big shutdown, it's uh, you know, a great boost for confidence of the cruise industry, Baz. Yeah, yeah. So the 59th since they first did a world cruise back in 1958, uh, mm. which is incredible. They did some incredible activities on board, and I did see some great pictures of this as well. The the guests uh, were encouraged to participate in uh, Knit for a Cause, where the, the guests knitted nearly 75 different blankets. Mm. Um, They're going to be no, sent 70... off to Africa, I think, to Namibia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so the, the yarns and the, the needles and the various different things are all donated from various different projects, which have, have done really, really well. And of course, they had lots of different uh, activities um, that took place to, to theme the, the cruise at various different parts around the world. Lots of different details in the show notes for that. Um, and then even some facts on the, some of the produce that was used yet again. So guests indulged in 31,248 bottles of wine and champagne. <laughs> two hundred. 200,606 pounds, sorry, I have no idea what that is in kilograms of fresh vegetables, and 174,000 pounds of fresh fruit were consumed. 41,000 fresh eggs almost were scrambled, poached, and used as various different ingredients. Almost 134,000 soft drinks were served. Uh, 200,000 pounds of meat, be that pork, beef, lamb, poultry, veal, etc. 5,600,000 pounds of seafood, 
almost 8,000 tea bags for use to brew cups of mm. tea as well of 3,277 bags of coffee and over $200,000 was exchanged in foreign currency as well. So uh, thanks for those stats. I do love those. So uh, <laughs> yeah. please like share them. If you want to do your conversions, I think one pound is about 0.45 kilograms. Um, okay. For any listeners who are playing along at home, and uh, that would make the uh, at least that first number you read out um, of the uh, of the fresh vegetables something like ninety thousand um, ninety thousand seven hundred or so kilograms. But I think that you know, using pounds definitely sounds like bigger numbers, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but those are remarkable figures, Baz. And yeah. one of the things that's also interesting about this particular voyage is that the ship um, also participated in um, a call in Amsterdam during the one hundred fiftieth anniversary celebrations. Of course, I missed that one. Yeah, well done. And next up, Chris, uh, whilst we had that little hiatus while I was travelling and then sick last week, Princess did actually, in fact, announce that uh, Star Princess will be the the second in the, the new class of ship, of course, Sun being the first one, which is coming mm. out. But this week, they also touched on the fact that both Star Princess and Sun Princess will be headlining the 2025 European cruise and cruise tour season, which is also part of Princess's 40th anniversary of sailing in the Med. Yes, that's cool, isn't it? And they'll also be bringing uh, Majestic Princess, Sky Princess, Regal, and Emerald Princess mm. into that celebration as well. So the first one's uh, Sun, the second one's Star. I wonder what other names they're going to they're going to uh, use because, of course, both of those names have been used in the past. So you could mm. have you could have Dawn Princess, we could have Ocean Princess. Uh, um, listeners should send in their their suggestions mm. for what uh, any other ships in that class might be. Yeah, do that. And if you want to get in touch, of course, do it through the website, uh, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and we'll try and share those with you. Uh, Princess first set sail back in 1985 in the Mediterranean. Um, Lots of different voyages that people can choose to take part in, but of course, these two uh, new class of ships will host 4,300 guests on uh, more than 1,500 balconies with 29 different restaurants and bars over 21 different decks. So uh, Yeah, 1,500 nice balconies, it just highlights, like across the number of ships that they've got, but it just highlights how much things have changed since those early days back when they started in 1985. Oh, yeah, absolutely, when balconies were very few and far between. Balconies <laughs> were for the very rich on the cruises, and now, it's uh, of course, it's a... Uh, it's an expectation that you can have access to a, a veranda, and the ships have been developed to reflect that. Absolutely. Now, just a little reminder for the listeners, Chris, of course, uh, you are shortly about to undertake a, a nice little walk uh, supporting a great cause here in WA. If anybody does want to support you, they can do so. The link is in the show notes there. That's not too late to make a little donation if people are in a position to be able to do so. Yeah. Um, how long are you walking for and where? So it's, it's a, a group effort, actually. We're, we're going to, uh, together to, to raise uh, money for the Type 1 uh, Diabetes Family Center, which is a, oh, yeah. a remarkable organization that does um, significant work to support people living with, with Type 1. Um, and the, the walk is, is in Western Australia, actually. It's in, it's in Perth along um, many of the city streets. Uh, you can Basically, it's the run for a reason you can – fundraise for a variety of different um, mm-hmm. different causes and that's the one that um, that I've chosen and have recently um, uh, become aware of the impact that uh, the type 1 has on people's lives and through, through some some friends of mine who are who are living with the conditions so um, I had a I had a target in mind um, it's one day to go and I would just any anyone anyone who can afford two dollars you know I would just uh, very much appreciate any support we can get 
Absolutely. And yet again, the, the, the link to do that is, of course, in the show notes, as is the link to your YouTube page. There's been a couple of uh, videos that have come out over the past couple of weeks, so I encourage people to uh, take a little look if you haven't yeah. done so already. There's uh, some incredible videos. I think the latest one was a couple of ship tours from memory, Chris. Yes, there's been three back-to-back ship tours. We've done a Queen Mary 2 uh, extensive uh, tour, uh, all in full HD, um, and then um, the Pacific Expl- uh, Encounter, rather, Pacific Encounter a full HD tour as well. And the last one that just went up yesterday, uh, Queen Victoria. And I was surprised. It gave me a bit of a, a surprise. I was, I'm sure I'd done it, but I had never actually done a tour of Queen, of Queen Victoria on the, um, uh, on the website uh, or on the YouTube channel before. So it was oh. um, well overdue. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how they've turned out and getting lots of lovely, lovely comments. So um, oh, I'll send you those links. We can pop them in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Will do. Absolutely. Um, Chris, that is, I think, probably all we've got time for this week, uh, but it's been great to, to be back chatting yet again. And of course, we'll uh, hopefully get an opportunity to do exactly the same, same time next week. Thanks so much, Baz. Sounds great. See you next week, everybody. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.